Good morning, or almost afternoon, I guess it's afternoon. Good afternoon. My name is Pastor John, and I'm excited with you guys today. Uh, thanks for uh, allowing Tara and I to have the sabbatical that we had over the summer. Thanks for allowing the elders to uh, give us that. That was great for us, for our faith, for our family. And, uh, but we are excited to be back. We, we love our church. We love Grace Community. And uh, we, are, we are just so thrilled to, to be back. Uh, we're going to get into Colossians chapter 3 today. We're continuing the series that we are in the middle of. So if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. We'll get there in a moment. Colossians chapter 3, it's in the New Testament. If you'd like a Bible to follow along today, if you raise your hand. Our ushers would be thrilled to bring you one and that's our gift to you. So, so they have those. You just raise your hand up high. They'll give you that Bible so that you can follow along today. One of the things that Taryn and I got to do over the summer while, while I was on break, we uh, got to celebrate our anniversary. Now we actually just celebrated it this week. We were married 19 years this week. Um, but uh, oh, thanks. Uh, but, uh, but, we, uh, but we celebrated the, the summer while we were off. And uh, I had never been, we had never been to Mackinac Island up in northern Michigan. And we, so we got to go there this summer for a few days. Beautiful place, beautiful part of the country, really cool to go. One of the things that Mackinac Island is known for is that there are no, uh, there are no cars allowed on the island. And so when you first come off, there's just horses and there's like horses pulling buggies and there's um, bikes and stuff like that. It's a lot like when you first get into Middlebury. And so we, so we, get, we get into Mackinac Island and we're there and we're like, you know, what? we want to join in the fun too. And, and so we rented a, uh, a bike to go around the island for the day. And since it was our anniversary, we thought this will be really fun. We'll rent a tandem bike. And, and so we rented a tandem bike. We had never ridden one before and we thought we could try it. And, and so we're kind of going around. What we learned is that when you ride a single bike with two very different people pedaling and riding it, um, it, can, it, can, it shows those differences really clearly. And, and, so, and so we saw that my wife and I were different. You know, for instance, she, she would, as she was trying to pedal, she would enjoy the scenery that was there in the island. And I was enjoying the scenery, but I was also trying to beat all of our competitors that day. You know, there were other couples who were riding tandem bikes who we had to beat. There was a family of five, a family of seven. I couldn't let them beat us. And uh, there was an elderly couple that kept trying to pass us. That was not going to happen. And, and, so, and so, you know, I enjoyed the scenery, but I don't know why, but I felt like I had to, to win the race as well. You know, we were also different uh, in, in the way that we leaned. You know, when you ride a bike, you kind of have a lean. And if you don't lean the same way on a tandem bike, it, it can make it really wobbly. Especially when you're trying to get started, it can be, in fact, dangerous. And, and so we learned that too. And you know, when, um, when you're pedaling, when one of you is pedaling as fast as you can, the other person sometimes loses their feet on the pedals and then they come back around and it hurts when, when you get hit by that pedal. My, my wife shared that um, with me, that that happens. <laughs> and, um, and we also were different in that Tara is a much better communicator than I am. And so what I learned is that when I'm going to stop, I should have told her that several, yeah, I should have told her that before I stopped, you know. And so that kind of happened a little bit a couple of times too. The good news is, is that we absolutely loved it. You know, we laughed a lot. We talked through our challenges and we were able to return the bike early. So that was awesome. And, you know, the thing is, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely try it again sometime. And I'm sure that it'll be amazing. But you know what, here's the truth about Tara and I. It's not just when it comes to riding tandem bikes, but we are absolutely different people. And I don't know if you know this, but God actually designed it that way. God says in Genesis chapter one that he created males and females. He created that different. And uh, God brings two very different people together in a marriage 
on purpose. Two distinct genders who bring different thoughts, different actions, and different uh, ideas to a relationship. Both are good, by the way, um, but they definitely are different. And not only do we have different personalities, but God has given us different roles in a marriage relationship as well. And so with all of these differences, you can see why there are challenges in a marriage relationship, why that can come up. So over these 19 years that we've been married, we faced a lot more serious challenges than simply learning how to ride a tandem bike, just like you guys have if you are married. You see, in dating, opposites attract. But in marriage, opposites often attack. You, you think it, when you're dating, man, it's so awesome. He's so laid back. She's so, she's so spontaneous and fun. But you know what? It's those things that attract us originally to each other that once you're married for a long time, those are the very things that start to be a real challenge in your relationship and begin to drive you a little crazy about the other person. That is also true. You know what I'm talking about. And so often in our marriage, there is this battle, there is this fight for control, um, for uh, figuring out who is doing what and who has the roles and who's in control and this battle that comes into marriage. Those differences can wreck a relationship if we don't understand that God actually designed those differences within human beings, within a marriage, to strengthen each other, to bring out the best in each other, and if we don't understand that and God's plan and God's purpose, then we'll just be really frustrated in our marriages. And our culture doesn't help us either. Our culture, if you listen to today's commentators, when they talk about God's institution of marriage, it's a bit of a punchline. It's a big joke to everyone else when they talk about marriage. It was a popular comedian who summed up life with this question. Do you want to be single and lonely or do you want to be married and bored? The reality is that culture teaches us those are our only two options. But what I want to say to you today is that neither one of those has to be true for you. You can be a single person and have a completely fulfilled life with Jesus Christ. And you can be in a marriage that has a lot of joy and richness and depth that is added to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Both of those are possibilities as well. But you see, Satan has strategically attacked marriage because Satan knows that healthy marriages and healthy families are the bedrock for any society. As always, our good God offers us some help. And so here in the midst of this book of Colossians, Paul, after he has described Jesus as the linchpin, as the one who holds everything together, he now in Colossians 3 in the middle of it turns and addresses family relationships. If you haven't turned there yet, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Or if you have it marked like I do, you just do this. Colossians 3 verses 18 and 19, just two verses that we'll read together. Never forget God's ultimate purpose for your life is not your happiness. But God's ultimate purpose for your life is to become like his son, Jesus. And so God is going to use our relationships, including our marriages, to help us become like him. He'll actually use the differences between a husband and a wife to strengthen each of them. You see, God has a view of we 
instead of only me. Now I realize today here in our church that all of us are at different places in our lives. Not all of us are happily married. Not all of us are married. And so wherever you are at today, even uh, wherever you are at, I would ask that you would have an open heart to the Lord today. If you're sitting here and you're single, I would ask that you would seek to hear from the Lord for where you can even apply the truths that we're gonna talk about while they'll be very focused to marriage, that you can apply them even to relationships that you might be in. And perhaps one day you may get married and you'll want to know these things. If you are married today and in a tough place in your relationship or unsatisfied in your marriage, let me encourage you very strongly to listen to this message with eyes, not for your spouse and what they can do to be better, but listen for yourself. Don't take away the opportunity for God to speak to you and change your heart where you need to be changed because you can only think about what your spouse needs to change and what God needs to do in their heart. You see, that's between them and God. God works in their heart, you can't. But you can't allow God to work in your heart. You can control that. And so have that attitude. I've been praying for that this week, all week, that we would all enter into these texts with a spirit of humility and with an open heart and not crossed arms. Oh boy, another message on marriage. Oh boy, I know what he's going to say. Listen, drop that attitude and listen for the Lord to speak to you today. And let me finally say one thing before I read, that as I stand here today to teach and talk about these things, it is with a spirit of humility. These are not things that I am perfect at. And my wife and my kids are sitting right over here and, and, and they're gonna hear me say things today and they're gonna say, mm, that'd be nice. <laughs> so listen, I am not standing up here today as someone who has it together. We don't stand up here as someone who has a perfect marriage but these are the things that Christ teaches us. And so we must teach them. Will you stand with me and turn to Colossians chapter three? We're gonna read verses 18 and 19 together, just two verses. Colossians 3, 18 and 19 say, here, read it with me. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Thanks, have a seat. A couple weeks ago, Jim sent me these verses in a text as uh, he was going to be away. I asked him what he, where I was at in the passage, and I read the two of them like, wow, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> but here's the key to these verses. I am excited to be able to talk with you guys today about these things because I am passionate about our families in our church, and I am passionate about marriages in our church. And I so desire to see God do a work in my life and in all of our lives because I absolutely believe what I said earlier, that healthy families and healthy marriages are the bedrock for any society and certainly the bedrock of our church. And so here is the key to these verses. Let me just give it to you right now. God's plan is we instead of only me. And here's what I mean by that. It doesn't, I don't mean that God plans for all of us to be married or be together. That's not what I mean. But in marriage, God's plan is for us to consider all of us, not just ourselves. A lot of times in marriage, when you come to your relationships, whether it's a marriage one or another relationship, and you come from a perspective of only looking out for you and your interests, you will have a problem with this passage. 
If you're only concerned about what you get out of a relationship, then you will not like this passage. But if that is you, you are missing out on what it means to follow Christ. Because Jesus models and demonstrates and teaches us that our lives are not about ourselves. That's not just true in marriage, but in every facet of our lives. And so when I'm at work, it's not about what can this company do for me? It's about what kind of value can I add to this company? When I'm living in a community, it's not about what can these neighbors do for me? But it's about how can I make this neighborhood a better place to live? How can I contribute? When I'm in a family, an extended family, it's not about what my brothers or sisters or my parents did or didn't do for me. It's about what can I add to my family? That's the way that Christ wants us to live. Wherever we are, we should be making things better because we're living like Christ because that's what he did. And so when it comes to our marriage relationships, we don't come from the perspective of what does someone owe me, but instead, what do I owe to others? Let me say it this way. We are to focus on our marriage from the perspective of our duties, not our rights. When it comes to our marriage, we focus on the perspective of our duties, not our rights. Because that's the way that Jesus modeled living for us. And I realize that's an incredibly vulnerable way to live, isn't it? But here's the thing. We have this trust in God that he's going to protect our backs. That he is going to come through and be the one who seals us and cares for us as long as we live as he wants us to live. And so we can worry less about protecting ourselves and instead living the way that Christ wants us to live, focused on the perspective of our duties and not our rights. And that's what I mean when I say in marriage, God's plan is we instead of only me. It's not just about me. So with that in mind, Paul addresses wives first. And he simply writes this, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now this word submission is a tough pill to swallow in our culture today. Because of the places where women have been and are, uh, where there are injustices towards women, there has been now the last numbers of years this large movement uh, to completely swing the pendulum in the other way. To create a society where men and women are seen as completely the same. And while as Christians, we should absolutely always stand up for fairness and what is right. However, the Bible also teaches that we are different and we are not the same. That men and women, again, are created different by God. Absolutely equal in value, absolutely equal in worth, but very different nonetheless, and even with different roles within a marriage. So, so we need to live uh, that way. Be careful to not let your beliefs be dictated by the culture that we live in. Be careful to let the scriptures be the ones that read you and read your life and read your thoughts so that the truth that you are living by is actually from here and not just from what you're seeing in movies or what you're reading about in the paper or what you're listening to uh, through the television. Make sure that what you are believing and living by is actual truth from God. God made us different as men and women and he says in scripture that that is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing in fact. 
And so we will be set apart. We will be different from culture. See, Jesus said this. He said that we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That means that we are gonna stand out as Christians. If your goal is to fit in and get everyone to like you in culture, to just mimic and parrot whatever you hear being said, then you are not following Christ. We will be different on some things. But let me clarify from the beginning that there is absolute equal value for every person before God. Paul is writing here when he talks to wives in the relationship of marriage to submit to their husbands, he is specifically talking about that husband and wife relationship. And so he's talking about roles in marriage, not about value and worth. You see, God actually believes that we can have different roles and yet be equal in value and worth. In fact, if, if you don't believe that, consider the Trinity where there is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And absolutely they are all of the same value and worth, but yet they have different roles. In fact, God the Son, Jesus himself, submits to the will of the Father in the New Testament. We see it over and over. And so a different set of roles does not mean, uh, that, uh, does not mean that people have different value and worth. For any organization, for any team or family to function, each person must have a role and must fulfill that role for that group <clears throat> to accomplish its purpose. Paul was writing to a culture where husbands had absolute authority in the home to do whatever they wanted. And so as always, God's teaching, God's word elevates women. It always does. God's teaching is always from the view of equality for both in value and worth. Paul writes here, changing the dictatorship of that day in a family into a partnership where both husbands and wives have value. But listen, even in a partnership where both people have equal value and equal worth, that does not mean equal roles. So the Bible teaches that the big H head of all of us is Christ. We are all ultimately responsible to Christ. However, the Bible teaches within families, within the family structure, the little h head of the family is the husband. Several evidences are actually given for this type of structure just outside of this passage, all over the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Think back to even creation and consider that in Genesis 1 and 5, God calls the race mankind. There was an order in things. Consider that uh, by naming Eve, Adam was exercising authority over her as God commanded him in Genesis chapter two. Consider this, that although the woman sinned first in Genesis three, when God came into the garden calling, he came calling for the man because he held the man responsible for not protecting and leading his wife. Consider that it is Adam's sin, the scripture teaches us, that is passed down to the human race from generation to generation. The theological word is imputation. It is passed down from one race to the next. It is Adam's sin that has caused all of us to be born 
sinners. And it is only Jesus who is called in Romans chapter 5 the last Adam that can remove that sin. And finally, consider that all of these creation accounts are echoed in the New Testament repeatedly that teaches that the husband is to lovingly lead the home. While God is still the absolute authority over each of us, when we understand what our roles are in the family, it solves a lot of discord. For those who are single, again, remember that God is your ultimate authority and you have absolute value and worth and meaningful life in him. The word submit, when, he writes, when Paul writes to wives, means this. A willing attitude that recognizes the rights and authorities of another. A willing attitude that recognizes the rights and authority of another. That's what it means to submit to somebody. Notice that it is a willing attitude of a person. In other words, it's not something that is under compulsion but it is a willing attitude of a wife to say, for the sake of our family, for the sake of our home, I am willing to come underneath the authority of my husband in our relationship. Because it is voluntary, it is not something that can be compelled. And so a husband cannot say to his wife, you must submit to me. That is so unscriptural. When Paul writes to the husbands, he doesn't say, make your wives submit. He writes to the wives. That's between God and the wife. That's between her relationship and God. What he says to the husband is that you are to love your wife and to not be harsh with her. That's what he says to the husband. As we will see, a husband lovingly leads, which includes communication, which includes sharing each other's hearts, which takes into account all facets of the family. And as a response then to that unselfish love, a godly wife voluntarily makes the conscious choice to follow her husband's lead. You see, for a wife, submission is a choice by the wife to complement her husband rather than to compete with him. She is saying, I am willing to complement his strengths, to to fit in and to support him, to come alongside him rather than compete with him. Now, I I do want to talk for a second here about a few things that this passage does say and this passage does not say. Because as I've gone to church over a long period of time and and I've talked with other uh, people, I've heard things like this. I've, I've heard some things said that I want to clarify First of all, a woman's ultimate authority is still God. It's not her husband. A woman's ultimate authority is always God. Between She has a direct relationship to Jesus Christ. That's not through her husband. However, how a wife relates to her husband says a lot about her relationship with God. And a wife who is uh, difficult... Uh, with her husband and who um, uh, uh, is not willing to follow him and to disrespect him um, is not as close to God as she might think she is. So your relationship with your husband speaks to your relationship with God. However, a wife's relationship is directly with God. A second clarification. 
because God has placed the husband in authority, that does not mean, however, that a husband is superior, that he is more competent, that he is more valuable, um, that he is more gifted, or that he is more intelligent than his wife. That, that, that is not anywhere taught in scripture, that men are leaders in their family because they're better natural leaders. That's not true. Women can make great leaders. And husbands would be wise to allow their wives to flourish within their areas of expertise. A third clarification. Women are never in scripture commanded to submit to men in general. This text here is speaking directly to the marriage relationship. And so we cannot take it out of context to somehow teach that God says that because he doesn't. That all women are supposed to submit to all men. My wife does not need to submit to another man simply because he is a man. Women can make great CEOs of companies. Women can make great bosses, great governors, and even great presidents. Not all of them, just like not all men are either. However, if you are both pursuing Christ, if we are both simply living as Christ wants us to live, most of the time, these truths, these teaching is not a really big deal. It doesn't come up like every single day. A wife doesn't ask her husband, what can I do for you today? Of course she does as a loving wife, but a husband says the same thing back to his wife. It's not a master relationship. That's crazy. And so this does not come up every single day. A loving husband who is leading his family the way God wants him to is not making these crazy strong declarations every day or every week that his family needs to jump up and his wife just needs to follow immediately. If we simply live like Christ wants us to to live, it means we're not argumentative. We're not unkind in how we treat each other. Submission doesn't mean that a wife completely agrees with everything her husband says and just needs to check her brain at the door. Healthy conflict is good for a relationship. It's how we grow. But we learn to disagree and to communicate with each other with love and with respect. So we're not talking again about major decisions every single day. However, when there are times where you have to make a decision and you just cannot come into agreement, what do you do in those scenarios? Let me give you a couple of options to consider from a female author and wife who wrote these. Number one, the option is this. The husband and the wife pray over an issue. They discuss it together. And if they disagree, they wait patiently for the other to come to agreement with them. So the husband would discuss something with his wife. The wife would discuss something with the husband. Maybe they disagree, but they don't need to make a decision. We don't always need to make decisions right in that moment. And so we can be patient and we can wait to see if over time God doesn't change somebody's heart to realize, you know what? The other person is right. Let's do that instead. That's how most conflicts are solved most of the time. Most of the time, that's, that's how it is. However, 
when there are times when that simply isn't coming about, when you're not able to come together on an agreement or on a decision, here's a second option. A husband and a wife might appeal to an outside authority, like a biblical counselor or maybe a pastor or a good godly friend who's not a relative or is biased in the situation. And the husband and wife could present their cases to that mediator who then helps them to make a decision. Tara and I have done this before in our marriage where we just could not come together on a decision, where we, we listened to each other, we prayed about things, we, we sought God and we just kept disagreeing. And so then we found a person who we trusted, who we both respected equally, who we then could talk to to try to gain some outside help. That is a good um, way to solve some of those uh, issues. However, that should not be very normal. That should not be something that you're doing on a regular basis. If that's the case, if you're regularly needing an outside party, there's some, there's some trust issues. There's some things that are kind of going on underneath the surface that sort of need to be resolved first so you can gain some skills in how to resolve conflict. A third option, though, is to um, where the husband makes a decision and the wife follows it. If the husband's decision is found to be wrong, he needs to be humbly willing to admit that and the wife then is careful to not treat him in a way that says, I told you so. And, or, if the husband is found to be right, then the wife needs to admit that she was wrong to her husband in a humble way and the husband is careful to not treat his wife in a way that says, I told you so. And the more that we treat each other this way, we build trust and humility for future decisions because neither one of us is always going to be right. I mean, you realize that, right? That you, you don't know everything. That you're not a perfect person. There's no such thing as a perfect husband or a perfect wife. And so if you are living in a, in a marriage where you are the one who's always right or if you're the one who's always wrong, um, that's, that's not right. That's mistaken. Somebody's an idiot, if that's the case. So God works through our humility and our relationship that when we treat each other in our relationship with that humility. Paul then writes to the husbands in the next verse, verse 19. He says, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't say words like idiot. In the day that Paul was writing this, Husbands could treat their wives however they wanted. Wives were more like glorified servants where their main role was to have children and to raise them. In fact, in the Greek culture that was there, that existed, wives would often live in another quarters altogether with the children. And so when Paul comes along and tells husbands to love their wives, again, he is elevating women. And the word that he uses, the Greek word that he uses is incredible. It is the word agape. It's a Greek word that perhaps you have heard of before. He could have chosen a different word which describes to romantically love your wife, which is the kind of love that we usually think of when we think of marriage. But instead, he uses this word for husbands. He tells you, he tells us to love our wives and the description of the word agape, the, 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 the definition of it is incredibly powerful. 
It means a willing love of choice to self-sacrifice. It is a willing love, a choice to self-sacrifice. That's what it means for husbands to love their wives. And the word is even more powerful as a present active tense, which means it is a continuous action. It's every day choosing to put your family and your wife first. Every day choosing to put them ahead of your own needs and desires. It's not the kind of love that stops after you get married, that somehow you showed it beforehand, but now you don't. No, it's a choice to continually love even after 10 years, even after 20 years, even after 60 years. That we continue to love and put our wife ahead of ourselves. That is the kind of leadership that Christian husbands would demonstrate where we choose to put ourselves second. And isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting when you think about the words that Paul gives to wives and then the words that Paul gives to husbands? Because in a godly marriage, a wife chooses to defer, to submit, which is to put herself second as she follows. And a husband chooses to sacrifice, to put his needs last, which is to put himself second as he leads. And isn't that a beautiful marriage where both parties are putting the other person ahead of themselves, where the husband is willing to lead because God has given him that call and a wife is willing to submit because God has put that call on her life. And so husbands, don't you dare read this Bible passage as a chauvinistic bully who only reads, I'm the head of this family, you'll do what I say. You're missing it. That's not what Paul is saying. You've only heard that part. You've missed everything about tenderness and humility and repentance. Paul also adds that our leadership and our love is not to be harsh or bitter. In other words, we don't say with our mouth, I love you, but then act like a jerk. We don't say that we love you, but then, but then our actions are different. You see, our leadership comes in our actions, not just our words. Paul is challenging the man here who's all about keeping up appearances. He posts on social media in ways to make it look like he's a loving husband to everyone else, but behind the scenes, he does not love his wife. This is the man who shows up at church and puts on a front as if he's a great guy, maybe even does a few chapters of Fight Club, but he's not living it out at home. Men, you lead with your actions, not your words. You lead who you are is who you are at home, not who you are at work, not who you are at church. They should be the same everywhere you are. We need men to lead. We need Christian men to stop being so passive, to, let, to allow their wives or to force their wives to lead their families spiritually. Men, you need to step up and lead your family. Now, that doesn't mean that you make all the decisions. That doesn't mean that you have to be great at everything. But that means that you set the tone, that you take seriously your role as the spiritual leader of your home. Your family is dying for you to lead. Our world is dying for Christian men to lead their families, to wake up from passivity, to stop sitting on their hands and being so, such quiet, so quiet as leaders. What does that mean? 
because I had someone in my office even this week asked me, John, how do I be a spiritual leader for my family? I'm not sure how to do it. Let me give you some help. A husband's leadership means a few things, and this would be a good list for you men to write down. Number one, it means that you assume responsibility for the marriage relationship. If something's not right, you don't ignore it. If something's not right, you take the ownership to to talk, to figure it out, to gently communicate with your wife. Ooh, that's hard. Communication. Oof. Talking, listening, sharing my feelings. That's difficult. But as a spiritual leader, you and I must be willing to do that. To love our wives enough to assume responsibility for the relationship and to resolve whatever is going on. You take responsibility for your marriage. Number two, as a spiritual leader, you put your wife's needs ahead of your own needs. There are so many men who are married but still act as if they are single. And what I mean by that is they're not willing to sacrifice themselves. Listen, you're not going to be a professional athlete anymore. Like, give that dream up. Exercise, absolutely. Be healthy, absolutely. But don't ignore your wife and your kids because you're pursuing all these hobbies that you used to be or you think somehow someone's still going to spot you and give you a call. Sacrifice, things change. As we had more kids, as we had more, more things, more responsibilities that I took on as a husband, I just start giving up stuff because it wasn't about me anymore. It was about my wife. It was about my family. We need to sacrifice as husbands for the sake of our kids. We don't need to make $5 million this year. You work hard enough to provide for your family, but not so much that you're never around. You can sacrifice where you think you should be uh, in your career for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your wife. It means that you are taking on as a spiritual leader uh, the, the willingness to put their needs ahead of your own needs for significance that you think it comes from your job or what you can do. Third, as a spiritual leader, Remember that you are accountable to God for your family. So take your family's spiritual growth seriously. Here's what I mean by that. Husbands, you model what it means to follow Jesus. Model humility. Model repentance. Model strength and perseverance. Serve at church. Read your Bible and worship Jesus. Your actions will always teach louder than your words will. Real practically speaking, make sure everyone in your family has a Bible that they can read and understand and help them to have a plan to read it. That's your responsibility as a dad, as a spiritual leader. And even read with them. But make sure that they have a plan, that they're doing it, that they're connecting with the Lord. And they have a Bible themselves. As a spiritual leader, take opportunities at your church to grow as a family. Be the one who initiates serving. 
Be the one who initiates joining a small group where there's accountability and community. Try a chapter of Fight Club. Come to Dudes and Doctrines. You don't have to do it all, but listen, you figure out where you can jump in. The point is that if you're a spiritual leader, you're not just sitting and watching other people, but you are jumping in and saying, you know what? I can do some things to grow. I can do some things so that I can be further along in my relationship with God and I can help my family further along in their relationships with the Lord as well. That's what a spiritual leader does. Real practically, spiritual leaders, make sure that you're having dinner together with your family as many nights as you can. Use that time to talk to them about their days. That's not just your wife's job. To catch up and to even pray together or to even read a scripture. It doesn't have to be this beautiful message, but you're just talking about the Lord. You're just talking about what God's teaching you. Maybe even praying with them. Make a list of your family members so that you pray for them on a regular basis, even every day. You don't have to be really good at praying. God knows your heart. But as a spiritual leader, you're taking your family before God and you're asking him to do some things in their lives that you want to see him do. That's your role as a spiritual leader for your family. Real practically, give each of your children a hug each day and even a kiss on the forehead or the cheek if they'll let you. That's what a spiritual leader does. And take your wife's hand or maybe you snuggle with her and you pray with her about whatever is going on in her life or in your life. Men, you must lead your families. There's no one else to do it. That's your role. That's your job. Marriages are based on trust. It is a covenant that we make with God and with each other. That's different than a contract where we only agree to live up to the minimum of what we've committed. It's a partnership where both spouses do their best to fulfill their role. You see, every team, every great partnership, and even every great marriage is the result of each person not only accepting, but also embracing their role and fulfilling that role to their absolute best. Be the best wife that you can be. Be the best husband that you can be. This is not an area in your life where you want to be mediocre. This is an area in your life where you want to do the absolute best that you can, where you are all that God has you to be. Because your marriage is a large part of your worship of Christ, the way that you treat each other. We do everything as if we are doing it for the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord, or as Jesus loves us. God's plan is we and not only me. Here's the bottom line truth, as plainly as I can say it. Your marriage will be as good as both of you want it to be. Your marriage will be as good as both of you want it to be. If, it's, if you're struggling, listen, it's because of you too. Maybe you feel like the other person isn't giving all that they can. You can't control that. That's where you trust the Lord. That's where you have um, faith in him and you okay with him. But you, as much as you can control, are giving all that you can to the marriage. That's what you can do. 
I promise you that if you give all that you can and go all in and the other one goes all in as well, I promise you that the Lord is already all in for your marriage. He's rooting you on. He is cheering you on. He loves you and wants to see you succeed that you will have a great marriage. Over the years, Tara and I have faced times where we have been distant from each other, where things have not been easy, where we have had breakdowns in communication and where we have done things to hurt each other. We get it. Marriages will always be a choice. Good marriages will always take hard work. But your marriage will be as good as both of you want it to be. God is all in, but are you? These two calls for a godly husband and godly wives cannot ever be read in isolation of each other. They work together. The husband, God sees a radical call to love as Christ to the husband. And God gives a radical call to submit to the wife. It is we instead of just me. That is God's plan. But the we isn't just the husband and the wife. God's plan is we and not only me, and he is included in that we. When we live like Christ lived, we fulfill our responsibilities as husbands and wives. What is the standard of love for husbands? It is to love like Christ loves the church when he gave himself for us in the gospel. And what is the standard of submission for wives? It is to submit to the, is to submit as Christ would submit to his father in the gospel when he was willing to give his life for us. In all things, it is Christ. In all things, it is Christ who we come after and look after for help and for direction. It is Christ. So if you are married today, what can you start doing that uh, you can begin to work on to fulfill your biblical responsibilities. What would happen in our church if we would begin to fulfill these duties the way that God is asking us to? What would happen in our community? What would it look like? What would our world, world look like if we would honor God in our marriages? And I wanna be clear that I don't mean your friends and I don't, I don't mean your, your family I don't mean your neighbors. I don't even mean your spouse. I actually mean you. What would your marriage look like? What would our world look like if you surrendered to Jesus and fulfilled your calling that he has placed on you as a husband or a wife? God's plan is we and not only me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we look to you, God, for help today. God, we look to you for direction in our marriages. Lord, our world is hurting and struggling. God, uh, our church, Lord, we are broken people. Lord, we are looking for you to work a miracle, Lord, in our marriages. We know that Satan is attacking strategically, Lord, because that is where he can hurt and do some major damage. God, I pray, Lord, that each of us would look within ourselves and look to you for direction. Not somewhere else, 
not to another person who's, who's gonna give us the advice that we wanna hear. Lord, Lord not, not to a culture that is giving us all kinds of wrong truth, the lies. God, help us to look back to you. The way that, Jesus, you love us, the way that you submit, the way that you design for us to live as husbands and wives. God, we ask, I ask, Lord, that you would just give us that kind of revival, Lord, in our church, in our marriages, Lord, that we would humbly fall on our faces and seek you. God, I pray that you would uh, make beautiful things out of the dust and the ashes of our lives. And so, Lord, this is not a, mer- this is not a, a, a message of, uh, of guilt, Lord, but this is one of hope. That, that says, Lord, you can do this in our lives. You can do this in my life. God, you can do this because this is what you do. You take the, the broken things of our world and you make them beautiful. And Lord, you can do that in marriages in our church. You can do that in marriages in our families. You can do that in marriages in our community. And God, that is what we're begging for today. As we leave here, Lord, I pray that you would give us that spirit of hope Holy Spirit, that you would come alongside and comfort and encourage and convict, Lord, to be who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. We love you guys. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.